For those who are listening to this audio, I just wanted to let you know that I forgot to turn on the recording until about five or ten minutes into this message, so it kind of starts abruptly here. And we don't want to go all the way back to the place where that that light, first that life that we've known is shown to be not the life of God or not the life that God's wanting to give us. And we don't want to go want to go all the way back to to a humi- to a state of humility and nothingness of self where we realize that the light that we've seen things with or understood things with is that light that Jesus called darkness. Remember when Jesus said that the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is good or single, then the light of God comes in and fills the whole person with light. But if the eye is bad and closed, then <clears throat> then we're full of darkness. And he, and he says, if the light then that is in you is darkness... In other words, that the thing that you're, you're using as light to see, to understand, to perceive, to discern, isn't the light that comes in from God. How great is that darkness? Now, see, that's, that requires, at the very entrance into this circle of Christ, so to speak, I use these words as figures and symbols, not as things that I... Uh, think are the correct terms or anything like that. I don't expect you guys to use these terms or anything. They're just kind of the way that it pops into my head. The 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 first thing that that is required upon coming into this circle of light and life is the realization and the acceptance of the fact that we don't know either real light or real life. Now, who's willing? This this really should be I think a one of the first things that a new Christian hears upon starting to believe in Jesus and wanting to follow him. Who's willing to go back that far? Who's willing to go back to, to a place in your heart where you're willing to say before the Lord in true sincerity and simplicity and humility, I don't know either life or light except for this little bit that's drawn me to desire to follow you. I would say that's an absolute necessity. It's an absolute necessity. And if it's, not, if it's not really where we begin, then the Lord is going to be for many, for, for as long as we won't go back there, he's going to be striving with us to bring us back to that starting point. He will be wrestling in your heart. Okay, so in that covenant, in that covenant of of light and life, we begin to, as Israel did, we begin to try to live according to the ways, to the, to the life and to the light that we had in Egypt. And right away, like them, we began to bump into, as I was talking about a few weeks ago, I can't remember, the boundaries of that covenant. In other words, we begin to we begin to feel and experience in ourselves that what we called life, God does not call life. He does not accept it. The desires of that life, the appetites of that life, the expectations of that life, the entertainments of that life, the things that we that we we called life when we when we live in when we continue to live in those things, 
now that God has brought us into Christ, we if we're paying attention, if we're humble, if we're soft, which I spent much of my early Christian years not being, and so I was I grew in numbness instead of discernment. I grew in coldness and hardness um, instead of spiritual sensitivity. But if we're soft and if we're humble before him, then we begin to feel those things. Now, this is what Israel saw in the wilderness. They just continued. They thought they celebrated God's salvation from Egypt. And and what did they do? They started living and acting and speaking and grumbling according to their own desires, according to their own appetites, according to the life that they had in Egypt, according to the religion that they imagined in Egypt, according to their thoughts about God and thoughts about purpose and thoughts about what God's salvation was and thoughts about what they should eat and what they should do and what was clean and what was unclean. And all of it was wrong. And the Lord began to reveal, as they would as they would bump into, so to speak, the boundaries of that circle, God would say, Moses, tell them this. Moses, write this one down too. Moses, add this one to the list. And there was all of these laws that were given. And what were all the laws? All of the laws were just descriptions of Jesus Christ, because he is the light and the life. All of those laws were just written descriptions of his nature, of his love, of his righteousness, of his perfection, of his relationship that he was trying to teach you with his father. Every little thing that Israel began to experience in the wilderness was one one more way that Israel was um, learning the life and the light that they had been put into. And every time that Israel broke the law or transgressed the boundaries of the law, it was very simply them continuing to live in their own life and their own light. And if they continued doing that, there were all these warnings that God would give them, telling them that, listen, guys, if you break the covenant, you're going to die. And the flesh of man says, man, you're really strict. Why do you? Why are you so strict about that? It's not about strictness, God could say. It's very simply about this. There's one light and one life. And if you stay in it, oh, that you had a heart to stay in it, then it would be well with you. But if you go outside of it, you're going to find what you are apart from me. You're going to you're going to feel what that that false light leads you to when you're not following the light above my tabernacle. You're going to see and feel in everything you do that that life, that that thing you've called life is death. That's what you're going to find. That's what you're going to feel. And so he, he did that. Now, if you walk by faith like Abraham did, you don't really have a need for all of the descriptions of the boundaries. Because if you walk by faith, living faith, I mean, not just human belief, but if you walk by living faith, then the Lord in your heart teaches you those boundaries. But see, they would not stay, they wouldn't walk by faith. Like, See, no laws were given to Abraham. Abraham just walked by faith. Abraham walked according, he saw that day and walked in it. He believed in the seed and kept it, kept that covenant. He waited on the Lord to be taught, to be instructed, to be shown. He was called out of everything he knew and he followed. He was brought into something new and he stayed there. 
for the most part. He had a few mishaps along the way. But for the most part, Abraham walked by faith and a written law wasn't necessary because that law was being taught to Abraham in the life and light that he was experiencing. Well, why was the written law added? Paul says it was added because of transgressions. It was added because they wouldn't walk by faith like Abraham, because they wouldn't stay inside the circle like Abraham. And so there they go, boom. Here they, they bump into a law there, and God says, oh, yeah, that's, that's not, that's death. And then they go this way. They bump into a law. No, that's abomination. That's, just get, get back in there. And they go over here, and they say, this is how I'm going to worship. And God says, whoa, don't do that. That is horrible. Break that thing they just made into a million pieces. And, and, and here, that's, that's, this is the Old Testament. They just kept bouncing into the boundaries of, of, the, of the, the boundaries of light and life. And God kept saying to them in so many different ways, stay in my covenant and it'll go well with you. Walk, where, walk in my life and my light and, and everything will be well. I'll bring you, if you stay in the circle, the circle is going to go right into the promised land. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to remove every uh, uncircumcised thing. It's going to fill my land with a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of God, a holy nation. It's going to do all of that. Your job is to abide in, to stay, to, to pay attention, to walk in the light and the life. And I will teach you everything. I will do everything. I will defeat your enemies. I will cause you to draw near to me. I will purify you. I will heal you. I will not put upon you any of the diseases that you felt and found on yourself in Egypt. I'll do everything. Here's what you need to do today, right now. Not, not, not as a belief in your head, but as the living, operating, active, present, powerful reality of right now. Here's what you need to do today, right in the next 10 minutes, as we talked about before. Stay in my light. Don't be careful because there's death outside of that circle and there's darkness too. And when you get close to the darkness, when you get further into that, that death and darkness, something comes upon you. If you're not careful to stay away from those edges, this, this horrible thing that every Christian should be terrified of, and it's called numbness. It's called numbness where, where you, st- you start to lose the sensitivity to evil, to good and evil. And that's kind of what I was thinking I was going to aim at this morning, although I'm kind of uh, taking a little bit more time than I expected introducing the subject. Um, yeah, I'll finish that thought. If, if we're not really conscientious about staying in that light that gives us a measure of God's perspective. I mean, what is light? Light is what, spiritual light, guys, is what God sees. That, it's, it's really that simple. It's God's view. It's God's living view, his living perspective. It's what God sees working in, in your heart. It's God's eye opening up in your heart so that you can see in his light, then you see light. That's what it is. It's his eye seeing in you. And, and, and when you see by that eye, you see things as they really are. You, you discern with a discernment that's given to you from above. And you, you understand and you feel 
evil to be what it really is. Now, if you don't walk in that light, then that eye begins to shut and another eye begins to open in you that sees things differently, that sees things according to a different perspective. This is the eye of human wisdom. This is the eye of, of the, the, the lust of the eyes that, Paul, or that John talks about, the desires of the flesh. This is a different eye. It has a different perspective. This is the eye that began to open in Adam and Eve when they looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and suddenly started to desire. Why would they desire that tree when they had the tree of life? Why would they desire disobedience when they had a paradise to walk in? Because one eye began to close in them and another eye began to open. And the one eye that closed, when, when, that, when that begins to close, then this horrible thing starts to spread over the human heart that's called numbness. That's what I, that's what I call it. Call it deadness, call it coldness, call it a, a layer of fat over the heart. There's one scripture that uses that language. Whatever, whatever you want to call it, it's it, it's a it's a inability to sense and to feel what God knows and sees. You can't feel it. Now, all of you guys have had times in your lives, I know you have where that eye, that, that inward eye of the Spirit of God has been more open than other times. Where, where looking at certain things, you feel things to, you feel with a kind of weird clarity that something is right and that something is not right. And, and, and some people call this intuition or some people, they have different names for it. But it's a kind of knowing, it's a kind of seeing, it's a kind of recognizing or perceiving that doesn't originate from you. It comes into you from somewhere else. And, you, and, and even little kids can feel, have you ever seen like a little kid just suddenly has like a perception that maybe someone is evil that, that they just saw or something like, something is wrong, something is dark. They don't even know what it is. They don't even know why. They have this sense given to them that something is evil. And something is good and right and safe. Now, we, unfortunately, and I'm guilty of this, as parents, we don't cultivate that sense in them. And sometimes we, some of the things we do actually encourages them to walk into greater numbness. We, we don't teach them to pay attention to, those, to that new light that dawns in the heart and those calls of a God that is trying to rescue them from evil. And, and in that way, and because of, because of that, a lot of times... Um, we don't help our, our children find the boundaries when that's honestly one of the most important thing that, things that a parent can do is, is, is help them to find the boundaries. It, it's important, this is a little parenting side note, it's, if, the, if the kids can't see the boundaries, you've got to tell them and show them where they are. But, but it, it's not, the ultimate goal isn't that they just believe all of your your perspective of the boundary is that the ultimate goal is that they feel the boundaries and stay in the light and walk in the life themselves, right? Well, if, if, you, if you don't do that, if, you, if you're not careful, if you're continually sinning against the light that shines in your conscience, if you don't bow to it and bend to it and, and submit to it, then then the habit of evil 
takes away your sensitivity to evil. And that, you see that everywhere around us. Is that not, is that not what, like a huge part of our society today? Isn't that kind of what we see everywhere? This is another little, but don't we live in an age where like, maybe more than any other time, I've never heard of it in my readings over history, of, of 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 a time where, of a true good and evil has been more sidelined than in the, than in the age that we live in. It, but there's a real evil, and there's a real good, and God is the good, and evil is that which lives apart from God, away from His life, by another life, and in another light. Now, there's real boundaries, and they're not going to bend for human opinion. They're not going to bend for a culture that wants to be, you know, everything's relative and everything's, everything's just a matter of perspective. The boundaries don't bend. There's a bunch of scriptures. I don't know if you've ever noticed these things or paid attention, but there's, there's a bunch of Old Testament scriptures where one of the, one of the laws that doesn't seem to make sense unless, unless the Lord kind of uh, opens your eyes to it is that you weren't allowed to move the boundary markers. Why would God say, remember, like, there's like these stones and he says, like, one thing you can't do in this list of things that are bad is you can't just pick up a boundary marker and move it. That's a weird commandment. But it makes a whole lot of sense because man, you don't get to move the boundary markers. They don't bend for you. You're supposed to bend for them. All of this is, what I'm trying to say is that man has the ability given by God to to see and to feel what is truly good, what is truly of God and what is contrary to God, what lacks God, what, what lives and moves and acts in this creation apart from God. There should have never been anything like that in creation. And that's why, you know, in, in, in the beginning, man wasn't supposed to have the knowledge of good and evil. He wasn't supposed to understand that distinction because he was supposed to live entirely in the good. You don't have to know evil to enjoy good. The only way really to come into a, a, a knowledge of evil for, for man who was created perfect or angels who was created perfect to come into the knowledge of evil is to, to become the evil that you weren't supposed to know. You have to you have to leave the good and and become evil to to understand that oh wow there's actually a distinction there's actually two totally different natures here so man fell into the knowledge of good and evil by coming out of the good and by starting to live in an evil and then suddenly he knew that there was a distinction between the two anyway that's kind of a side note again but. What I'm trying to say is that anyone who really pays attention to the Spirit of God with real humility and sincerity continually begins to see and to feel first in themselves, not in other people first, not in society first, not in government first, not in social justice first. No, not in conspiracy theories first. There's, there's evil in all kinds of things, all, all over, everything. 
But when you pay attention to that light and try to walk in it and try to abide in that life, then you begin first to see good and evil, a distinction between good and evil in yourselves. And if you are careful to follow the good and to hate the evil, if you're careful to deny the one and to follow the other, then this this sense of numbness or insensibility begins to go away. This is something that all of us can experience, and, and I think many of us are experiencing. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 5. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, of those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Here Paul speaks of a growing in sensitivity. He speaks of having our senses exercised in discernment of good and evil. When When you turn towards that spirit and let that eye open in you, that sees from God's perspective. There's a growing sense of, um, I don't know, a growing sensibility. I don't know another word. Sensitivity, I guess, is the word that maybe is most, most common. A sensitivity. You begin to feel it. And, and you begin to long for purity. Some of you have felt this in recent years. There was a long time when my Christianity didn't have, I don't think, anything to do with a real thirst for, for innocence and purity. I can testify a little bit now, according to my measure, that that's become a real important, a, a, a desire in me that has grown to be strong. I want to be, be clean. I want to be pure. I want to be innocent. I don't want to have dirty hands and sticky fingers that are touching everything that is unclean and having it stick to me. Something in your heart as you begin to pay attention to those boundaries starts to want to dwell in God's judgment and stay in it and and finds it to be clean and finds the fear of the Lord to be the thing that is clean and that, that the judgments of God are like the honeycomb are sweet and good, and by them your servant is warned. And who can discern their evil? But by your judgments, we can see it and we can feel it. And something, something in the heart that, that starts really small but, but grows starts to, starts to feel this cry, search me, O oh God, know me. Show me everything in me, all the crooked places, all the low places that need to be raised up and the, the, the rough places that need to be made smooth. Create in me a clean heart. That, that becomes the cry of, of the heart that is paying attention to those boundary places. Why? Because that's the nature of the life that we've come into. 
That's what that light sees. That's what that life wants. It wants to be clean because he is clean. It wants to be holy just as your heavenly father is holy. It rejoices at that saying of Jesus, be holy for your father in heaven is holy. It doesn't complain and grumble about it, saying it's impossible or that it's too high of a, of a calling. It doesn't say that. It says, yes, Lord, make me holy. Cleanse me with hyssop. Make me like you. Take away everything in me that keeps me in a place of separation and enmity with you. A couple, a couple things that begin to happen. I just, I'll just mention these today. A couple things that begin to happen as you pay attention to those boundaries and, and start to feel that, that longing in your heart for cleanness and innocency. <clears throat> is that, and I'm mentioning this so that you don't, <clears throat> so that people that are maybe listening to this don't think that anything strange has come upon you. You, you. you may, you probably will begin to experience a lot of confusion. Confusion. Confusion about what is okay and about what isn't okay. About what is the Lord and about what isn't the Lord, about what are my own scruples and what are God's scruples, about what God is saying and what I'm saying, about what I can do and what I shouldn't do. A whole bunch of confusion. Now, when I first started experiencing that, I thought that something was completely wrong with me. I thought I'd read some some, some biographies and journals of people who, who had begun to experience God's judgments or God's uh, corrections in their heart. And it, it just as I read it, it just seemed to be so clear and so obvious to them. And when I began to pay attention to that light or those boundaries, I, I there were some things that seemed clear and seemed obvious and I could say felt really wrong and really clear. But then there was a whole bunch of other things that I found to be extremely confusing. And... Some of you maybe have read, uh, there's, some, there's some stories in some of the friends' uh, journals where uh, I remember one of them is in, I think it's in um, um, Jane Pearson, or Pearson, when she, she, she began to give herself to this light that was awakening in her heart. And she said she suddenly felt like everything, she, there was something wrong with everything she was doing, or some kind of statement like that. There was nothing she was doing that felt okay. And I remember, I remember reading that and, and really kind of rejoicing to read that because that was, there was something of that that I was feeling. And, and, I, and I wanted to say that although that's a very uncomfortable thing and I don't think it's the, the condition that the Lord wants us to stay in, I think there's something very appropriate about that confusion for those of us who have spent so much time living in our own will and according to our own desires if we've lived so much time in a false light and, and false desires in the life of self, where where the real source of what we've been doing and what we've been choosing and what we've been acting has been ourselves, then really giving up to follow Christ's light is going to bring us into 
a place where we start to feel self, at least a measure of self in so many things that we do and what to do about that and how to respond to that and whether we should confess this or stop that or start this, it's, it's going to feel confusing. I say that because I want, um, I want you to understand and I, I think... I think if someone would have said this to me in the beginning of my journey in a real clear way, I think it would have been helpful to me that nobody is good at discerning good and evil naturally. Nobody starts out being skilled in the word of righteousness, as it says here in Hebrews chapter five. What is that word of righteousness? It's that gift that God, it's that living word. It's not a book. It's not the book about righteousness, the book is about righteousness, but it's a living word that causes us inwardly to discern and to feel and to find righteousness. And nobody begins being skilled in the word of righteousness or with the word of righteousness. But by, by use, by practice, by submission, by turning, by following, our senses are exercised to grow in the discernment of good and evil. And that is how we come out of that confusion. The way to come out of that confusion isn't just to say that all confusion is bad and this can't be the Lord and therefore I'm going to do whatever I can to avoid feeling confused about these things. That's not the right way out of the confusion. Okay, because there's something, I say that because there's something in me that wanted to avoid the confusion by not following the light. Do you see what I'm saying? If I, just would have, if I just would abandon the whole idea of following Christ's light in my heart, well, then I could get out of, this, out of this confusing confusion that always is having scruples or fears of having scruples or wondering whether this is God or this is me or this is the flesh or this is the spirit. I could get out of that entirely if I just stopped paying attention to this light that's convicting me and, and, and confusing me. That's not the right way out of the confusion. Again, I want to say, the Lord is not wanting us to live in a constant state of confusion, but the way out of the confusion is to have your senses exercised in the discernment of good and evil, where things start to become more and more clear, and you see things, not just by their branches. You, see them, you start to see them by their trunks, and you start to see them by their roots, and you start to recognize them by their seeds. But there's a lot of things that look very similar. If you just look at the branch, you know, that looks like a this kind of branch, that looks like a that kind of branch. But, but when, when the trunk is actually different, and the roots are totally different, and the seed is a completely different seed. But the real way out of the confusion is to have our senses exercised through use, through paying attention to the boundaries through letting that eye continue to open in our hearts so we can see and feel. And I'll just mention one more thing real quick, and then, and then maybe I'll say more about these next time. But another thing that you begin to feel that you'll want to get away from, and it's good, to, I think, to want to get away from it in a sense, is condemnation. But condemnation too, it's not that God wants us to live in condemnation, but, but everyone's trying to get out of condemnation without getting out of the nature that is condemned. They know that condemnation feels bad, and so they want to escape it. But the way to get out of condemnation isn't to stop paying attention to the light 
that condemns things that are evil. I hope that's, that's, that's clear to you guys. Because there's so many uh, beliefs out there and so many ideas about condemnation is bad. Well, oh yeah, condemnation is bad. But condemnation is bad because it's condemning something that's bad. And the real way out of condemnation, again, is not to stop paying attention to the light that exposes what is evil. The way out of condemnation is purification. That's the way out. When there's a mixture of properties in your heart, some evil and some good, then you can't escape. The light will not ever allow what is contrary to God, enmity to God. It's never going to justify what is contrary to it. And so the way to come out of condemnation is, is called purification. It's by coming out of and being free from and being cleansed from everything that merits, that rightly merits God's condemnation. All right, I'll stop with that. Can you explain what a scruple is? Can I explain what a scruple is? Yeah. Yeah, um, a scruple is just an old-fashioned word that I don't know a better modern word for, so I use it. But uh, a scruple is just a, a sense that something that you're doing, a sense that you feel that something is not right, that there's something wrong. There's something, whether it's evil or unclean or dishonest or something, and it's like, a, I guess you could say a conviction um, is maybe another, a similar word to it. A sense that you have to stop doing something or something isn't right about what you're doing or saying or acting or thinking even though you may not know what it is or why it is. It doesn't necessarily, scruples don't necessarily come with discernment. Discernment is kind of a separate thing. Sometimes you have scruples without having any knowledge of, um, or any clear understanding of why you have a scruple. It's just kind of like I was saying, some people call that intuition or something like that. But I would say, knowing that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And apart from Christ, we are darkness, as scriptures say, in so many different ways. I would say that scruples that have to do with evil come from that which is good. Or, or as Paul says in Ephesians 5, that which makes, ev- makes manifest the things that are reprovable is light. 